You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Pelvic contusion is the official diagnosis for Christian Pulisic. Pelvic contusion, which I mentioned both on Around the Horn and when we were talking to Taylor Twelman. I know they said abdominal. I saw the twig and berries and the meat and two veg involved. And I think a pelvic contusion is a Richard bruise is what I think that is. It sounds painful, but he's listed as day-to-day. So hopefully he'll be around when the U.S. men's national team take on the Netherlands on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin, with reasons to hate the Dutch, ways to trash talk the Netherlands. we got to get ourselves fired up for that unlikely rivalry that we revisit on Saturday after recently talking trash about the Dutch when the U.S. women faced them in the Olympics a couple years ago. And back then, I was hosting a show called Spain and Company with one Jason Goff, who is here now, Chicago Bulls pre and post for NBA Chicago, has a podcast talking all things Chicago. You can follow him at Jason One Goff and Goff. If you remember, it was around that time of the U.S. women's national team in the Olympics. Yep. That we started to scream, Eagle Me! Eagle Me! That's right. Nice to have you back on the show, friend. It's been a while since I got to yell Eagle Me, but I yelled it after the the win today for the U.S. men's national team, and I thought fondly of us attempting to trash talk the Dutch. Still working on that list. (laughs) (laughs) They seem like a lovely people. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, screw them. They're not American, and that's all that matters right now. How you feeling? I'm adding that to the list. I had to come in hot, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, last last time we talked, though, you know, Saudi was on pretty much every other week, and we were hanging out. And now, fast forward, I see Saudi driving like it's hot on your Instagram. So I don't know what to call anything these days. I don't know which way this show is turning. That's right. That's right. The best of ways. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Bulls quick because that's where you've been spending a lot of time lately. Nine yeah. and eleven right now, but they're coming off a couple big wins: Celtics, Bucks, and Jazz in three of their last four. Those are some good teams. Do you feel like mm-hmm. they've turned a corner after a tough start? Mm, no, nah, because they have to show it to me for an extended period of time. Like right now, they are what they are. Their record is mid; they're mid, and they got to figure out what they are before Lonzo Ball comes back because that's been the. The, the beck and call, the beck and cry of, okay, this team will be different when Lonzo's back. Well, it's been 11 months now since he's had his diagnosis, his, his surgery, all the other things. He hasn't practiced with this team. So they understand what the long haul was going to be without Lonzo. And coming into this season, you expected them to kind of revamp their offense a little bit, tighten up on defense. Defensively, they've been better than they were at the end of the year last year. But this year, has been about the offense. So, yeah, they've beaten some teams that they struggled with last year. If you remember, I believe they were two for 28 or something like that against top four teams in both Mm -hmm. the Eastern and Western conferences. This year they're beating some of those teams that are the upper echelon, so-called, in the NBA, but they're losing against some of the middle-ranked and some of the lesser teams. So they got to figure out right now what their offense really is and Zach Levine is, is still coming back from surgery. DeMar DeRozan. You know, the sustainable diet of crazy shots and difficult shot-making and high-degree profile shots, they haven't been falling like they were last year. So this team is, is kind of, you know, 
it, it, it's growing together, but at the same time, it's not sneaking up on anybody like it was last year. So they're in a, they're in a little bit of a mix right now trying to find their identity. Does it have to get better or worse before it gets better? Because we know that this team was constructed to win now, but it's hard to yeah. kind of see what their future looks like. Like, Am I wrong for thinking this is the most depressing team right now in the NBA? <laughs> um, no. I mean, shout out to the Brooklyn Nets fans out there. But no, <laughs> right. I, the, this team, yeah. this team, the reason why you could say it's depressing is because of the way that it was constructed or the plan was, was said to be executed coming into this. Arturis Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley talked about development. They talked about uh, building through the draft and those kinds of things. The, the Denver model that we had seen with Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray and all those guys. And then all of a sudden, Zach Levine started to play at a terrifically efficient pace, but his contract was due pretty soon. He had to show him that he wasn't just going to be running around out there with kids anymore like Lowry and Wendell Carter Jr. So you make the trade for Nikola Vucevic to kind of say, hey, Zach, got another all-star with you. And then the offseason comes where you get DeMar DeRozan, you get Lonzo Ball, you get Alex Caruso. So the the plan kind of – diverted course real quick in the beginning of this, you know, this, this new regime's trajectory of this is how long it's going to take for us to contend. And right now you've got a backcourt with a whole bunch of money, but also some <laughs> knee issues, right? You got, you got, you got what, $290 million worth of backcourt, but you also got three or four surgeries on knees in that backcourt. You know, you got a young core where Io DeSumo is the shining gem, but you know, he's hit a little bit of a sophomore wall and then Patrick Williams was the fourth pick who you were counting on to be more than he has been so far in his first three years in the league, even though his, his play has been trending up a little bit this year. So it's kind of like that, that weird thing that's happening in Golden State without the championships and without their, their claim, where it's like, can you rebuild, look towards the future, and also make sure that your veterans are leading the way? Right now in an Eastern Conference, it's really hard every single night. They're struggling with not only finding their identity, but, but having a sustainable you know, diet on offense to where you don't have to rely on two guys every single night for so much. Okay, y'all are haters, because other than Lonzo's extended injury, this team is very fun, very easy to root for, <laughs> exciting. I, I love DeMar DeRozan, and they are not even close to the most depressing. Have you seen the Lakers or the Nets? Yeah. What the hell are the yeah. Timberwolves trying to do? Carl Anthony Towns' life has been a tragedy of epic proportions for years now, and we're talking about the Bulls being depressing? Give me a break. Get out of here. Well, I, we're going to switch the, the, gears because I'm so angry. I, I They're fun. And I understand. No, they're, they're fun when they play the way they're supposed to. But there are too many nights there where this team gets down by 10 early to a squad that's not that supposed to, to and think that they come that back. To and, you. you know, and, and it's also the Billy Donovan thing, like the, the, the contract extension, the super secret contract. That was weird. We all learned about it today. Yeah. It happened months yeah. ago. <laughs> Yeah, like, well, like, what are you, like, what are we doing? Not, not, not announcing that so that he can have not just more security, but it, you can look uh, like a more stable franchise. It's just, it, I won't say it's the most depressing team in the league, but disappointing to start the season. I think with where they set the expectations coming into this year, I think you can say it's been disappointing to say the least. All right, I'll give you that. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. We're talking to Jason Goff. At Jason1Goff is where you can follow him. You can watch him doing Chicago Bulls pre and post for NBA Chicago. Goff, remind me of the name of your podcast. Oh, it's the Full Go Podcast. That's right. Brought to you by The Ringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Full Go at The Ringer is where you can get all sorts of Chicago stuff. Before we let you go, we got to talk a little bit of Bears. I mean, I think everybody agrees that when Justin Fields is healthy, he should play and keep developing. 
Um, what do you think about the future of this team? Because I'm cautiously optimistic about Fields and a couple of the young guys, and with 100-plus million in cap space, tons of draft picks, I think the rebuild is going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting to see what kind of talent evaluator uh, Ryan Poles is, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is his first draft class, really didn't do much in free agency, so – you know, they had a lot of dead cat money that they had to get rid of. And by the rebuild, the nature of it, you could tell that he just hated this roster. And mm-hmm. I was and can uh, you blame I him? was an opponent. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't. But at the same time, I was I was not happy with the lack of weapons and the lack of blocking that he gave uh, Justin Fields in terms of resources to start the season. And then going out and, and trading a second round pick that will be, you know, in the mid to high 30s. Uh, which is essentially a late first-round pick for a guy in Chase Claypool who is happily let go of by a team who was also developing a quarterback. It, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher. So the fact that they didn't give them the Ravens pick and, and said their pick instead, like I think the jury's still out on Ryan Poles. Uh, of course, the arrow is up because when you got a guy like Justin Fields who finally got it over this last month and a half, uh, Luke Getze figured out he had some legs and then he just overused him over the last couple of games. The arrow is pointing up. Uh, defensively, though, this team is, is tough mm-hmm. to watch. And, you know, the evaluation is fun to talk tank losses and all this other stuff, but you still want to be able to evaluate a team and where they're coming up short at and just not having – being bereft of talent on the defensive side now, especially with Eddie Jackson going down and Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisket dealing with injuries. Like, this this end of this season might be uh, real tough for Bears fans to watch, but maybe they'll come out of it with a top three pick. Awesome stuff. It looks like they will. Some of those three-win teams kept winning this past weekend, and I was like, do it, do it, get the wins. (laughs) All I care about is I would love to see them work the Packers and then get right back to their losing ways and keep those draft picks good. Uh, Goff, thanks for the time. Eagle me. Eagle me. Always, Sarah. I appreciate you. (laughs) See ya. You can listen to the Full Go podcast and watch Goff on the Bulls pre and post for NBC. Chicago. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with their easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, we're going to act as coaches for the day. How would we handle some pressing decisions in the NFL? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Nice work. We're always listening to what I'm absentmindedly whistling during the break. It's Spain and Fitz. Never know what it's going to be, although more than often than not, it's the A-Team theme song or Rich Girl by Hall & Oates. Don't ever climb into my brain. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin hanging out with me tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Courtney, we're going to put your beat reporter time to the test. We're going to see how much you think like a coach or how much you might disagree with some of the coaches in the NFL right now as they have some pretty big decisions to make. Let's start with Robert Sala, who told us a while back that he was keeping receipts. And ever since that moment, the Jets have sort of pivoted into a team that has realistic playoff aspirations, despite a big, big problem at quarterback with Zach Wilson. So they finally bench him. They don't even suit him up. And Mike White comes out and looks incredible against a very bad Bears defense, which leaves Robert Sala with the announcement to make about whether they're going to move forward with Mike White or what they're going to do about their very highly drafted quarterback whose reputation uh, says something about him, about the front office and about the franchise in general. Here's what he said today. Has Mike's performance 
caused you to perhaps reconsider the quarterback plan that you outlined for us on Wednesday, the one where you said, you know, you fully intend to get Zach back on the field this year? Uh, no, it's uh, like I said, we're, we're going to go week to week. There's there's things that we'd love to see Zach accomplish over the course of uh We'll call it a reset. And this is Mike White's opportunity. That doesn't change. So Mike's got an opportunity to go stack another uh, great day up this week. And when we feel like Zach is ready to roll, he's going to roll. So, Courtney, I'm going to play coach here. And I hope that what I'm hearing from, from this is what it is, which is that he understands that eventually at some point they might want or need Zach to play. And they can't completely torpedo his career by saying it's over now. They have to hope he puts in the work and puts in the energy and attitude to maybe one day be a viable choice. But right now, it's Mike White's team. To move forward with Mike White is to put a vote of confidence in the team itself and to say that the kind of defense that they have with a quarterback that's going to execute the offense and be as efficient as Mike White was is a better choice, even against a team that's going to be much tougher than that Bears defense was. And it does allow them, if Mike White takes a torpedo the way that he did after his first game uh, the last time we saw him start, that maybe Zach Wilson will be welcomed back as a possible changeup. I think if there's anything else to this, i.e. he's rushing to get Zach back as quickly as possible, he's out of his mind. There's no way. And I think the smartest thing Robert Sala did last week was not say that this was a one-week benching and that he would yep. get his job back. He left the, it open indefinitely. It could mean week 13. It could mean week 14 when they've got meaningful games down the stretch here in December, which is exactly what they said they wanted to do. They wanted to be playing in this offseason. You can't go back to Zach Wilson now. You have no reason to. Why pull a quarterback that just galvanized your offense to put up 31 points even though it was against the Bears, but they did it through the air for the most part. That was a rainy, messy game, and they were still slinging the ball around, which is important. And a quarterback is never more than a play away from having to go into a game, which is, to your point, Sarah, why you don't kill Zach Wilson in his career right now and say it's over and tell him to pack his bags and go back to Utah. You look at this situation like you do the Mark Sanchez and Greg McElroy situation when – Sanchez gets benched 2012 McElroy comes in and he play like the first game that he's playing in place of Mark Sanchez he gets a concussion like very early mm -hmm. in the game and guess who's back in there playing quarterback like yeah I mean, we almost saw Nathan Peterman for just that reason on the Bears this weekend it, exactly when Trevor Simeon had an uh, oblique injury that they managed to shoot him up with God knows what and force him out there but uh, you just never know when the backup's gonna need their backup yeah no I mean that's <laughs> It always happens. You can never be too prepared in football, which, you know, I know that all of the rhetoric that came out of the Jets this week made it sound like Zach Wilson is awful and Mike White is a second coming and everything's great. They just won a game, and it's important right. because they're the seventh seed right now in the AFC playoffs. They feel good about what they did. That doesn't necessarily mean that they hate Zach Wilson. No, uh, and there's time with him, which is why he said that, and I think we both agree he said that to keep the door open, which is what he needs to do at this time, make the next decision when he comes to it. Let's move on to the next one. Jeff Saturday defending his clock management last night after the game, saying the time wasn't the issue. They had time left when they ended up uh, turning the ball over on downs. But today he went back and said, nah, I'm looking at it a little differently in terms of the timeouts I could have used. Obviously, there's always things everybody wants to do, plays they want back. I, I wish I had that third down back. In all honesty, wish I'd have used a timeout. Um, just looking at it on film, Looked at it last night again, looked at it 
this morning again and and uh from a time perspective i felt i felt good but the uh you could tell we were in disarray yeah i mean to me it wasn't that they ran out of time because they didn't it was that you have a rookie play caller a first-time head coach combining together with a veteran quarterback who's on a new team, there's no reason not to make sure you're all on the same page, calling the play that you want and that everyone's ready to go. Jeff, you're not a, you don't worry about Mahomes or Brady marching back down the field in 30 seconds if you leave them too much time. you got to put the cart before the horse and get your own points first, and I don't think that they made the right decisions around the end of the game. No, and I mean, Jeff Saturday said it himself. He didn't know what personnel was in the game, and their receivers, he realized it. They were lining up in the wrong spots than they were from mm-hmm. the previous play, and on top of that, they wasted so much time because they were down by seven. The ball was snapped with 34 seconds remaining, so that would mean then there were 25 seconds that ticked off the clock from the previous snap to the time that the Colts got to snapping the ball. That's knowing your personnel grouping. That's knowing what substitutions are happening, going to and from the sideline. That's it's, it's what a well-oiled machine looks like if done correctly. This is, what, his third game coaching as the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts on an interim basis? I guess I'm not surprised, but and I'm also not surprised that he ended up like going back on what he said last night because he said he, he re- he, this is a complete 180 from what he said in his post-game press conference. Well, he at least said it wasn't about the time issues. I do think he finally looked back and said, oh, but there were some other things that I should have been thinking about when we had that play and that opportunity to call timeout. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin, and I playing coach for a moment here. The final big decision here is around Aaron Rodgers. He said on Pat McAfee's show today that he will play. Matt LaFleur basically said, you know, if he's if he's able to go, we're going to put him out there and he's still our guy. I think there's a lot of fear around the future for Rodgers. There's a lot of fear around the cap hit. And I agree that for now, Rodgers should keep playing unless there's fear of long-term injury. I don't think Jordan Love is the guy anytime soon, especially with that contract and how difficult it would be to trade. Yeah, I mean, that's... I'd like to see the Jordan Love era start this weekend, Sarah. I think it's time. I think you need to see a couple games from him. But for Aaron Rodgers, I guess he's earned that right to be able to you know, say if he's ready to go, he's ready to go. He has earned that right. We'll see. I can't decide which I'd rather see this weekend against the Bears. Coming up, find out what makes the Vikings unique and not in a good way. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin. Tell us all the reasons to hate the Dutch, to despise the Netherlands ahead of the U.S. men's national team game in the round of 16 of the World Cup on Saturday. I'm going to stick with the other kind of football right now. Football Outsiders Aaron Schatz joins us. Uh, real quick, peek behind the curtain there. We uh, we heard your John Clayton, RIP, uh, meatloaf moment. Who are you yelling at about dinner over there? <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend just got home from work. Okay, okay. Yeah, we heard you in the background. I'm doing a radio hit. Have some dinner. <laughs> Good stuff. That was, on, uh, was that on the air? No, 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 no. no, no, no okay, no. thank God. Thanks. All right. Well, now it is. Now it is. But, uh, <laughs> um. All right, let's talk quickly about uh, uh, OBJ, the plane incident, and the Cowboys. I'm not surprised that it's not phasing Jerry Jones and company. Do you think there's any reason that they should be hesitant in what they're calling their full-strength-ahead bid for for OBJ? No, I I don't think so. I mean, what they want is a player who can play. I mean, the only reason to be hesitant is the question of just, like, is he going to be 100%? 
at any point this season, including the playoffs, or are they getting a guy who's just not going to be 100% and therefore not going to give them what they think he's giving them? But if the goal is to get him for this year's playoffs, you know, I think whatever legal weirdness is not going to really play in it, play any part. Speaking of the NFC East and the playoffs, the Washington Commanders appear to be trending upwards at a time that maybe the Giants are on a downward slide. And we know with the Commanders' next two games, oddly enough, coming back to back against Washington against the Giants with that bye week sandwich in the middle in Week 14. What is what does your analytics tell you right now just about their playoff odds and that of the Giants as well? Yeah, we actually have. Washington as a slightly better playoff odds uh, than the Giants at this point. We have Washington making the playoffs in 62% of our Sims and uh, the Giants only 50% of the time because Washington is 17th in our ratings while the Giants are 21st. So uh, also Washington, don't forget, has that win over Philadelphia, which is important for any kind of division record tiebreaker. It's not that Washington's going to end up tied with Philadelphia, but, you know, if they're tied with the Giants, the first tiebreaker will be head-to-head. The second tiebreaker will be division record. Washington has that win over Philadelphia. So we like what Washington is doing. They have been a little bit better than the Giants this year, although going forward, because offense is more predictable than defense, the Giants have been better on offense than Washington has been. So the Giants may be a little bit better going forward because that's a little bit more predictable. Aaron Schatz is with us at F-O underscore A Schatz is where you can follow him. I asked me to comment this yesterday. I'm curious your take too. I I believe Nathaniel Hackett's going to take the ultimate penalty for everything that's gone on with the Broncos and in many ways rightfully so. I don't think Russell Wilson will escape unscathed. His reputation has taken a huge hit but I feel like you can't separate the two when you're looking at the results this year. Is there a reason to believe that Russ could return to much better form or even elite form if they get the right system and coach in place? Or do you think we're seeing live uh, a decline that can't be fixed? I mean, I think you can separate them because the game management and game decisions has nothing to do with Russell Wilson. That's all on Hackett. But, um, you know, it seems like the physical talent is still there for Wilson. It's just the decision-making. Now, the, the scrambling, he can't scramble like he used to. But the arm strength, he's actually been very good this year on deep throws. He's just been terrible on short throws, partly because mm-hmm. the decision-making and guys aren't open, and then he's not throwing them open. And so I do think with better offensive scheme, better coaching, I think that Wilson can be – somewhat saved i think the more likely future would be that he's like an average quarterback not a really good one like he used to be but not a really bad one like he's been this year okay so tell me about what we need to know from brandon staley's two-point conversion attempt because i know we want to look at that and say analytics because it's brandon staley and he's super aggressive and goes for it on fourth down all the time but is there something more about the way that that game was playing out that you can lean on and say it was more of a feel of the game decision for why they went for the two-point conversion against arizona instead of kicking the pat versus what win probabilities would have told you Yeah, analytics is basically neutral on those two-point conversions to win the game with 10 seconds left. 
In fact, if you do it with like a minute or a minute and a half left, analytics actually prefers the extra point. It's better to tie the game because if you take the lead, you're giving your opponent the opportunity to come back and the reason to be aggressive against you. But with 10 seconds left, it doesn't matter. So it's really just a gut decision. And uh, I think he felt like he just had the better offense. I think he felt like he had the better offense. Go out there and let the offense win the game. Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders is with us here on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. When the season started, we were gonzo about the AFC West. Who can beat anyone in the AFC West? Every single team might make the playoffs. Well, things have changed a bit. And I wonder, using your models, which conference overall and which division uh, are the best? Yeah, I mean, I, we like the AFC, but we like the AFC East. We have all four AFC East teams currently in our top 11. Mm. We have Buffalo 1, we have Miami 8, the Jets 9, and New England 11. So while the NFC East has the great win-loss records, we don't have Washington and the Giants as high as we have Philly and Dallas. The AFC East is higher overall, and the AFC is higher overall. The AFC has four of our top six teams and six of our top nine teams. Aaron, when it comes to Jalen Hurts in the MVP conversation, seeing what he did in the first quarter alone against the Packers on Sunday would probably lead people to think, okay, he's going to move ahead of Tua in this argument. But how does he stack up in terms of the overall resume of this season versus Patrick Mahomes? Because it kind of looks like those two are going to be the front runners here down the stretch. It's just, it's difficult sometimes to balance running value versus passing value because we're so used to quarterbacks who get almost all their value out of passing. But I mean, I think Hurts, you know, he's 10th in passing value in our numbers. So you obviously you have to add the rushing value onto that. But when you add the rushing value onto that, it doesn't reach what Mahomes does. And the other thing that makes Mahomes special is if you ever look at uh, performance in situations where passes are expected, right? So where the, the pass run ratio is expected to be 70% or higher, Mahomes blows away the rest of the league like even if you know he's going to pass the ball he's still really good at it mm-hmm. and that's what I think makes Mahomes the most valuable player it's Spain and Fitz we're talking to Aaron Schatz of football outsiders at fo underscore a shots is where you can follow him we've talked to you about the Vikings a lot they slipped down to I think at one point 24th in DVOA after that Cowboys loss it's in 22nd now Uh, Can you tell us statistically how unlikely the Vikings record is when compared with their DVOA and other statistics? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like the fact that the the Vikings now, because they beat the Patriots by seven, they have outscored their opponents. But like Jacksonville has a better point differential than Minnesota does. Hmm. And Minnesota being a 22nd in our DVOA ratings, they are the worst nine and two team in our ratings going all the way back to 1981 and they're like the worst nine and two team by a lot (laughs) by like over 10 percentage points they're like the only one that's negative the second worst nine and two team is another vikings team it's the 2000 vikings the team that famously lost the nfc championship game 41 to nothing 
So, mm-hmm. like, we've never seen anything like this. It's, it's wild what the Vikings are doing, escaping with so many close wins. And it's not crazy to think they will do it again this week. Like, I would favor the Jets to beat them, even in Minnesota. But, like, I would favor the Jets by, like, 55%. I mean, things that have a 45% chance of happening happen a lot. Hmm. It's incredible. It's it's hard because the Vikings stands get very frustrated when you use statistical analysis to discuss their mediocrity. Uh, and yet you do have to give it to them in the win loss column. And that's about it. Hey, Aaron, thanks as always for the insight. Enjoy dinner. Hey, thanks so much. I'll talk <laughs> to you guys next week. Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders. Go check out his work and go check out the site. Don't forget, today is Giving Tuesday, a global day of giving, and it's also the start of ESPN's V-Week as we continue Jim Valvano's fight against cancer. We can all make a difference today by supporting cancer research, which is needed now more than ever. If you're able, give now at v.org slash donate. That's V, the letter V, dot org slash donate. 100% of your donation goes to cancer research. Coming up, We'll give you some good reasons to hate the Dutch or just, you know, some reasons. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know what they put on French fries in Holland instead of ketchup? What? Mayonnaise. <laughs> I've seen them do it, man. They f***ing drown them in this That's right. Mayonnaise on your French fries. That's reason enough to hate the Dutch. Although I've had like some kind of like aioli type things with my fries, which are mayonnaise based and are delightful. Guys, we're having a bit of trouble coming up with reasons to hate the Netherlands. We're doing our best. The U.S. men's national team beat Iran today to advance to the round of 16 in the World Cup. Well, they'll face the Dutch on Saturday, which has inspired us to find some trash talking points. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I will say this, Courtney, and I forgot to mention it earlier in the show. I was enthusiastic and excited for the U.S. men on their own doing what they've done. It's exciting for soccer in the U.S. It's exciting for the men on that team. It's exciting for all the fans. But I forgot to mention there was another bonus to this win that I was particularly excited about for some of my friends who play for the U.S. women's national team and who have been fighting for equal pay uh, behind the scenes people who work for the Players Association as well. Because the equal pay agreement that they finally agreed to at U.S. Soccer a couple months ago had this important part in it about revenue sharing. And we made sure to talk about it on the show because it forced the U.S. to finally be what they have always said, which is hashtag one team. Before, they were often pitted against each other. But the revenue sharing means that when the women are successful, it financially benefits the men's team. And when the men are successful, it financially benefits the women's team. So today's win by the men's team that advanced them to the round of 16 means that even if they lose against the Netherlands on Saturday, the women's team will make more money from this men's trip to the World Cup, just getting out of group play, than they did for winning it all in 2015 and 2019 combined. It's wild. It's wild that their percentage of the men's take-home, their small percentage of what the men are getting, is worth more from advancing out of the pool play than what they themselves got for winning the entire thing twice. And that's where there's such a disparity is in the FIFA prize money and across the world. Now, that's not up to the U.S. men or U.S. soccer to fix, but it is a part of the larger picture. 
And so it was exciting to know that these women and the people behind the scenes fighting for all of this are benefiting from the success. Because honestly, Courtney, I would be hard pressed to find someone that would not admit that the success of the U.S. women's team over the last decades has been influential in U.S. soccer growing in popularity. And that includes oh, all the young boys that want to play and become national team players. That includes fans demanding more and demanding better from the men's team. That includes resources and investments into the men's team that might not be there if the women weren't dominating. So I, I think it's great that they are unified together and hoping that each other succeed. Yeah, and I can't wait to see what they get to take home when they do win the whole thing in 2023, mm -hmm. uh, the Women's World Cup. But it's wild to think about the discrepancy in that at the largest stage when they were doing this in 2019 when Megan Rapino was becoming an international icon for her work on and off the field like they're the ones who grew the popularity of mm -hmm. this sport nationally and then with this brand internationally it wasn't the men's team last time the world cup happened they weren't playing in it yeah so yeah. It, it's you know Got to work the whole twice as hard thing is is exhausting to hear about, but it's very much uh, highlighted thing. in this because backwards it, and in heels. Yep, exactly, <laughs> absolutely right. Well, we asked you since the men will be taking on the Netherlands on Saturday God for reasons. America. That's right, reasons to hate the Dutch. Uh, Jason Goff, I think probably the most uh, intellectual take, which was screw them. They're not American. That's all that matters. <laughs> I do like that one. Uh, but when we were digging deeper for some perhaps more reasons, uh, we found out it turns out we don't know a ton about the Netherlands. Where did Dutch people come from? Uh, well, the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch come from Pennsylvania. <laughs> and the uh, other Dutch people, they come from somewhere near the Netherlands, right? Nice try. The Netherlands is this make-believe place where Peter Pan and Tinkerbell come from. Okay, so maybe we're not quite that bad. But we started with a lot of stereotypes, Courtney. Uh, Nick said, you know, wooden shoe-wearing bastards. We heard a lot of people about too much orange. Uh, certainly plenty about the tulips. Uh, note Sandrin said, if you've ever been Dutch ovened, well, let's blame that on the Netherlands. Oh, Great gross. point. Uh, <laughs> That's horrible. Dr. Yeet, which is a great name, said, I believe they closed the original Heineken Brewery in downtown Amsterdam. That's a good reason as any. Yeah, you never want to close down a beer factory. It's a beer truck. We won't crash it, eh? Uh, Phil in Espanol said, because their name sounds like nether regions. That okay. was my thought, too. <laughs> uh, Teach and Fish PKP, they live below sea level. The low elevation has nasty effects. I don't know what that means. I love it, though. That was my favorite one of the ones that were sent in on Twitter. I think I would have preferred if it had just ended with, they live below sea level. You can't just trust no anybody who lives below sea you level. You can't trust anyone with two first names or who lives below sea level. That is 100% accurate. Um, Shireen says, growing up in Holland, Michigan, you'd always hear, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. Tulips. They don't have a smell. Give me acres of lavender instead. It's a fair point. Tulips are gorgeous, but they are very short-lived. Yeah, I mean, they have their whole tulip festival in, I believe it's Amsterdam. It might mm -hmm. be throughout the country. It might be throughout Holland, but it only goes like a month. And that's a very expensive time to go there and visit. It really is. But beautiful. Do you want to know a cool fact about tulips that I learned just this year? I would love Unlike to. Unlike most cut flowers, tulips keep growing in their vase after you cut them. Sometimes up to like six or seven inches. So if you buy a tulip when it's still pretty young, you put it in a, in a vase or a vase... 
you can tell by the time you toss them that they're they've grown several inches above where they were. Isn't that kind of wild? It is. And I have a funny tulip story because my my dad, when I was a, like four or five years old, planted tulips outside on like our um, center circle. And as of this year in spring. Wait, hold on. They is center still... circle like a common thing? Is that like where you in your driveway? Like in the driveway. Yeah. Okay. Like where the plants okay. are. And there's like a bush around it. But had not been touched in years. Those tulips come back every single year. <laughs> Literally yeah. for decades. So they're resilient. And maybe the they Dutch are, are resilient, resilient too. And we hope that the Dutch are not we resilient on we Saturday. Hope like like New York Pizza and Zach Wilson that they fold easily is what we're hoping. Uh, Lost in Beemore City said, to quote a moron, because windmills are noisy and kill birds. <laughs> you can do your research on that one. At Big T Parker, the Dutch are basically responsible for originating the speculative capitalism that has destroyed the planet, where they now spend most of their treasury building dikes, trying in vain to hold back the very forces they unleashed. That's enough for me. <laughs> that is the smartest answer I've ever gotten to why we should hate another team that we're playing. I don't even know if it's true, what? but he used enough big words and it sounded right. It sound, yeah, it definitely sounded right. Right? Unbelievable. Uh... Also, we are, are hearing from the real Bob Nas, a helpful note for Fitz on Saturday. Uh, remind him these people are from Netherlands, not nether regions. It does seem important for Fitz, someone who's often talking about, uh, what's his favorite term for down there? The no-no places, I believe it is, when someone gets hit in the no-no place. Which, by the way, brings us back to Christian Pulisic, whose official diagnosis is pelvic contusion, which is a Richard bruise. And he literally busted his um, soccer balls for America, is what happened in the game. God bless. A true American hero. Uh, Christian Pulisic and his meat and two vig and his twig and berries will all be joining Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.